Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I am here today with my friend, Dr. Bob Lester. We are talking about paradigm shifting ways, uh, business model changing ways to keep pet care affordable for pet owners. And so we start to just unpack some ideas. What could the future look like? What are some things that we might see going forward? I know this will get some people fired up. We do talk about uh, changing the way that we leverage nurses in our profession. We talk about employer subsidized care. We talk about uh, about government subsidized care. We talk about tax benefits for pet owners. It's really all over the place as far as what are things that we could possibly unpack as a profession to make sure that pet care stays affordable for pet owners while we take care of ourselves, while we address the student debt issue for veterinarians, while we lift up our support staff and pay them a living wage. Guys, super thought-provoking episode. Dr. Lester is always awesome. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Bob Lester. Thanks for being here. Great to be here, Andy. Always fun to catch up with you. Man, I, I, was, uh, I was thinking earlier, like, I don't think I've invited anybody on the podcast as often as I have uh, invited you. You you are one of my favorite thinkers. Uh, I read your stuff uh, whenever it comes out in today's veterinary business. And uh, and I, I like your perspective and I like to hear your thoughts on things. So thanks for making time for me. I am honored. And likewise, I listen to you on my walk virtually every morning. <laughs> so uh, you are, for those who don't know, you are a co-founder, uh, chief medical officer at Wellhaven Pet Health. Correct. Um, you are also, because you have uh, so much free time, the president-elect <laughs> of NAVC. Yes, indeed. And uh, and you are a regular columnist at today's veterinary business. So uh, so you stay you stay busy as we all do in this profession. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about uh, you wrote an article called Tear Down the Wall in February's uh, today's veterinary business magazine. And the premise was more pets from lower income households and their owners will reap the benefits if we're imaginative about how we deliver veterinary care. And so I want to talk to you because this is a this is a big thing in, in my mind these days. Um, I am looking a lot at accessibility and affordability of vet care. And, you know, I'm looking at the marketplace and I see um, I see salaries for veterinarians going up, which is which is good given given student debt. I see salaries for support staff going up, which is way overdue and needs to happen. I see um, I see more and more specialists. I went to uh, I went to CE event last night, which was great. It's the third uh, specialty clinic in our area. When we had one forever, and all of a sudden we just bang bang, we've got two more now. And I'm going, wow, specialty care is coming up. Um, at some point, how does this not trickle down to to the pet owners in a way that makes us inaccessible? You know, uh, you and you look at shortage of veterinarians and classic supply and demand says, well, there's not enough supply. And so the demand goes up and the prices go up, which is going to attract more people to vet medicine. And I say, but we've got this ethical 
ceiling, I think, that most of us see where you go, I don't want prices to go up to make what we do inaccessible to a lot of people. And so I that's where that's where my head has been these days. And I'm really thinking a lot about how do we do this? How do we how do we keep our profession financially viable and meet the needs of our people and 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 not burn them out as they're as they're overworked and overstressed. And at the same time, keep our services available where people can have pets, because I don't think any of us want pets to be a luxury item. Yeah, I think you've summed up the issue well. And as further backdrop, I think we have to acknowledge that that the profession is in a time of abundance. So much right is going on. Pet numbers are up. Pet spending is up. Pet lifespans are up. Euthanasia is down. America's love affair with pet has never been stronger. However, against a backdrop of a workforce shortage, the supply and demand mismatch, as you pointed out, what are we going to do? Our teams deserve more money. They deserve flexible schedules. Um, they deserve better benefits. So to to meet that and recognizing that we've never had more pricing power with the increase in demand, fees go up and up and up. Mm-hmm. Good, as you point out, that people within our profession are certainly earning that and deserve that and more. Bad in that that continues to raise that barrier of care. So how can we how can we help those somewhere near half the pets in the U.S. that won't see a veterinarian this year while uh, maintaining quality care and taking care of our teams and our doctors and their compensation needs and benefits and flexibility and wellness and life needs and all of those things. It it always comes down to raising fees. As a result, I think we need to be looking at different models from the traditional model that we all grew up on. We love it. The James Harriet, all creature great and small, all things to all people has got to change to some creatures, great and small, some things to some people so that we can become more efficient, help more pets, continue to compensate and treat our team members well while delivering a broader service to more people. Yeah, I I completely agree. Somebody was talking to me recently about sort of the future of vet medicine. And I said, "I, I think the future is shattered, meaning you're going to see a wide variety of different kinds of practices and you're going to see high volume, low cost practices or limited services practices or mobile practices or white glove practices. And, um, I don't, I don't think that's bad at all. I think that's what needs to happen, but we, we cannot have everybody doing all things and pulling our hair out about how do we practice the gold standard of care and also be accessible to every pet owner. That's a, that's a losing proposition for, for us as individuals and practices. Yeah. We're singing from the same sheet. Our consumers have changed. Millennials and Gen Z's are the dominant consumer. Now their needs are different. Their expectations are higher. Their bond is stronger and our workforce has changed. Our workforce isn't willing to be on call every other week work six days a week, take one week of vacation, all of that's changed. So we have to change the model and and change is always painful, but it, it's necessary. And that doesn't mean we completely walk away from that primary care, um, great citizen, great person there in each community that is there to be the quarterback, to be the general pr- practitioner, the primary care provider that knows you and your pets. However, there are other models as well to take on some of the other needs and in some cases, in a more efficient manner. Yeah, I I, I agree. I I also really like the way you sort of laid this out. I, I don't I don't think there's a silver bullet. I don't think you think that either. It's a multimodal approach. It's not hey we're gonna we're gonna do this one thing and the problem's gonna go away. It's like no. I, I think I think we need to approach it from a variety of of different of different uh, aspects. How do you want to start to to lay this out? Because I want I want to talk to you about some of the options that you and I sort of both see. Um, 
as far as as far as how we can get this job done or what the future might look like do you have do you have favorites do you have things that you think should happen first do you have things that you think um we're closer to that might be easier to implement yeah um definitely have favorites and and as you point out it's it's an and there isn't a silver bullet we have to mm-hmm. do this and that and the other and and as we specifically look at some of the new models that are out there and emerging um there's several that i find really appealing um the idea of nurse-driven care. We've got states in which the Practice Act reads that under indirect supervision, our veterinary technician nurses can do virtually anything but diagnose, prescribe, and do surgery. Well, yeah. Why not have one veterinarian oversee five or six limited care run by nurses? Um, we're seeing those pop up in, in a number of states now. I think that's one model that has a lot of potential to better utilize our teams, better empower veterinary technician nurses, offer higher compensation, treat more pets at a lower price point. It's not all things to all creatures, but it is some to some and and will help break down those barriers to care. Yeah, for me, I, I think that's a big one as well. And I know it's, a, it's sort of a controversial idea and, and I think people can get really fired up about it. But as, as I look at this and I say, we don't have enough veterinarians, we also have a problem attracting, especially credentialed or licensed technicians. I was talking to uh, to someone um, to someone just a while ago who's very uh, big in, into technician regulations and things like that at the state level. And she was saying, you know, um, when you look at what unlicensed technicians make relative to licensed technicians, in a lot of cases, it's hard to make the case that they yep. should go and they should get those get that education. The other thing, is that when you go uh, and this person teaches at, at the tech college where uh, where they have uh, your technician programs, she says, you know, we have these people come in and they look at our program and they look at the average salary of credentialed techs and it's 30,000, something like that. And then they look next to it and there's, you know, um, an, uh, an, an ultrasound technician uh, for human health care and it's 70,000 and they go, ooh, that's a... Uh, it's a big difference for a similar length of program, and and I go, oh, I, how, how do we, we how do we make this competitive for them? And so to your point, that seems to be, and there's a way to do it, and I think nuance is important, but I, that may be the win-win is empowering. Uh, credential technicians, right? And you've got to have a licensing program because we're not talking about taking people off the street right. and, you know, training them in-house and having them do significant procedures. But that that may be the win-win of it. It gives the the technicians things to aspire to, to grow new skills, uh, a, a way to, to justify salary that makes our profession attractive to them. And it also reduces the burden of overload on veterinarians because I don't see anybody turning on the spigot no. to release a bunch of new veterinarians soon. No, that's a six, eight, 10 year fix. And I'm encouraged over COVID. I think we have finally seen our profession take some significant steps towards embracing team healthcare delivery. Our profession's roots have always been one doctor, one exam room, one truck, one stable, whatever it might be. We're we're kind of the fiercely independent John Wayne out there doing everything ourselves. We shoot every film, chart every chart, fill every pill bottle, and that's silly. No other healthcare profession does that. And COVID and, and the mismatch in, in supply and demand is really driving veterinarians, in some cases, for the first time 
to delegate and really take advantage and leverage and empower and honor their teams. Yeah, I I think that I think that that's true. I think the dentists have it right. I think I think the dental model with the dental hygienist carrying a lot of the uh, of the of the weight, you know, doing a lot of the heavy lifting, um, making a good living for themselves, and then also, you know, you're efficiently moving a dentist through that office. I, I go, man, I, I think those guys have a lot figured out. I I. I wonder how much of this, you know, this transition, because I because I think you're on the same page. I think the the opportunity for this to take root, I, I think it happens a lot in in our education systems. I, I, I'm seeing some movement in that direction of starting to talk more about, hey, when you're a doctor, this is how you interface with the team. And hey, doctors, here's how you leverage the technicians. And I, I don't think it used to be taught that way. I remember sort of going through vet school, you know, back in the day, and it was very much you, you were trained as the technician, like that was sort of part of the training process as you were trained to do everything. And I get that the doctor should be able to do everything. But I think you should be able to do it and then be trained how to utilize and leverage your technicians so you don't have to. Exactly. It's part of our education. We should be training side by side veterinary students with tech students. And that only takes place in two or three schools today. And the human model, they, you certainly see them training side by side. Veterinarians need to remember their job is diagnose, prescribe, and surgery. Everything else we can delegate. Yeah. What do you think about the potential of more nonprofit practices? Yeah, I like the move that the shelter world has an interesting business model. They, they essentially were set up to put themselves out of business. Let's place every pet in a home. And once they're all placed, what does the shelter world do? Well, we're not there yet. But in the case right. of dog overpopulation, we've largely turned the corner. We're making big strides with cats. Um, the shelter world has such a great reputation, does such wonderful things. However, as their primary mission in placing homeless pets begins to wane, they're taking on new things from forensics to wildlife to community education to community veterinary care to fill that niche that you and I aren't filling because people don't have 60, 70, 80, $90 for an office call to come in. Um, and I'm really encouraged by what they're doing. They're, they're picking up a segment of the population that traditional veterinary medicine has been poor to serve. And, and that's not a blame thing. We, we can't no. do it for free. With, with the benefits of pet ownership comes the responsibility of paying for good care for that pet. For those that can't afford the traditional, this gives them one more lower cost alternative to get good basic care. Yeah, I uh, I see. Uh, it's funny. Um, you know, I always joke that we can beat ourselves up no matter how well we're doing. You know, you can beat yourself up for, for working too much and you can beat yourself up for not working enough. And yeah. it seems like a lot of us jump back and forth. And and I see when we talk about nonprofits or we talk about shelter medicine, things like that, I, I and I get it, I'm, I'm not criticizing, but, but uh, veterinarians can jump really fast from we're overwhelmed and, and people can't afford our services. And then they flip to the other side and go, how dare these shelters do <laughs> medicine there and take take this clientele and i go uh, you, we there we got to we've we've got to uh, we've got to we've got to pick our poison here you know is is do we want to do we want to have the accessibility in our own practices or are we okay to let that part of the market go so that we can focus on our 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 target clientele and and still feel good about it you know yeah and still partner with those shelters they're still placing pets those pets are going to need a, a a veterinarian in many cases, it's going to be you or I. So yeah. as veterinarians, I think we're silly not to be best friends with our rescues, our shelters, and do all we can to help them and be thankful if they can take care of some of the pets that we're unable to. Yeah, I, I just I think that's interesting. I, I see a niche ahead for non-shelter um 
purpose-driven nonprofit practices. I think that there are people out there who 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 want to sort of live their values and 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 believe in accessibility. And I could 100% see nonprofit practices being set up for the purpose of of providing care for people who couldn't otherwise get it, and it just being a being a very intentional decision of this is the market that we're going to serve. And we're in again this this period of abundance in our profession that there is certainly more business than they can handle. The challenge is, can we get people in there to take care of that? In the shelter world, in the nonprofit model that we're talking about, they have an enormous recruiting advantage in that you can go to that student that's two or $300,000 in debt, have them go to work for a qualified nonprofit for 10 years and erase the debt. So they may not be able to pay what a traditional for-profit is, but if they invest 10 years, and to your point, it's mission, it's heart, it's purpose, yeah. it feels right, and at 10 years into it, my debt disappears. That's tremendous. That's a win-win. Yeah, I agree. Hey, everybody. I just want to jump in real quick with a couple of updates. Gang, before I do, though, I got to get a shout out. I got to get some love to Banfield the Pay Hospital. Guys, they have stepped up and supported us in getting transcripts for both this podcast and the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast, which is the other podcast that I host. They do it uh, to increase accessibility and inclusion in our profession. That is a uh, that is a big uh point for them right now is, is something that they are doing for our whole profession and industry. And they stepped up and put their money where their mouth was and said, how can we help you? And I said, hey, this is a thing that people have asked for. And uh, it's, a, it's a big lift for us. And 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 Banfield said, we got you, buddy. And they have made this happen. So if you want transcripts for our podcast, we got them. Head over to unchartedvet.com. You can see all of our podcasts and you can see transcripts for those there. Feel free to share them. Help us get the word out. But I just got to give some love to Banfield because they didn't have to do that. But but they did, and it is awesome. So thanks to them. Over at Uncharted Online on June 29th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.30 Pacific. That is uh, p.m., not a.m. Uh, not doing the 5.30 a.m. Pacific thing. Guys, over at Uncharted Online, so you can join from anywhere, my friend, the one and only practice management goddess, Stephanie Goss, is doing her teamwork mind meld setting expectations for team communication. Guys, do your teams struggle from a lack of accountability? You're like, people don't do what they say they're going to do. And people don't follow up the way that they should. And people don't communicate in a way that stuff actually gets done. And they are making uh, assumptions about what is going to happen that are not realistic. And it is continuing to cause problems between the team and management. Guys, I see this all the time. Stephanie Goss's workshop is all about setting expectations for how the team is going to communicate. Just think about how much you need that. Gang, this is a two-hour actual workshop. Come with your uh, camera. Come ready to talk about your practice. So this is going to be stuff that you can take home and plug right into what you're doing and actually make a difference in the way your your practice functions and to take this back and engage it with your team in a way that's going to make a difference. Guys, I hope you'll check it out. Stephanie Goss is amazing. Uncharted workshops are, uh, they're uniformly pretty freaking fantastic. I do love them. I'll put a link to that down in the show notes. Guys, as you might've heard my brand new exam room communication training course, it launched on June the 7th. It is my 17 tips, tools, tricks, and hacks to make you and or your team more effective in the exam room. Guys, this is the stuff that I lecture on all over the world. It's my absolute best material. I wanted to make it available to everybody. I have people who always come up to me after my talks and say, that was great. How do I teach my staff? 
to do that. And I got you now, buddy. I've got you covered because you can take this to your team. It is 100% module. It is broken up into five-minute modules that you can drop into your staff meetings, tag it onto the end of a, of a team training meeting. You can do it in the morning huddle. You can go through and everything stands alone. So you can pick the things that you like, skip the ones that you don't. You can look and say, we need this the most in our practice. Let's do this. Guys, the course pays for itself. If there's one thing that you take and you give to your team and they go, oh, light bulb moment. It is, it is um, the fact that it's made to go back to your team and be interactive, which means everything comes with discussion questions. So you can say to your team, how do we do this? What does this look like in our practice? How could we do this better? What opportunities do we have for improvement here? And, and I give you those suggested wordings and questions to ask so that you can get your team to engage. Guys, I'm super proud of this. I'm super happy for the first 30 days. So until July the 8th, uh, it's $100 off is a launch special. I don't want this to slip past you. If you're like, I want to try that out, grab it, uh, grab it now, uh, grab it while it's got $100 off. I'll put a link in the show notes, but guys, I hope you uh, love it and you enjoy it. And if uh, if you haven't checked out my Charming the Angry Client course, it's built in a similar model. It's been very, very popular. People who have had it can tell you about what it's like. Um, you feel free to ask because it has gotten very good reviews and a lot of people have gotten a lot of mileage out of this. But guys, I want you to be able to train your team, specifically your team, not some generic team. I want you to train your team in a way that's gonna work in your practice. And this is why I made this tool, so it can get taken and used as you want to use it. So it supports your culture and your practice and the way that you guys work. And um, anyway, I hope you'll check it out. I am, like I said, I'm over the moon that it is launched and uh, boy, it's been a lot of work for me and my team, but I think it's gonna be totally worth it for, uh, for those of you who check it out. All right. Let's get into this episode. Let's talk a little bit about about support coming from outside the industry. I, I thought you know you were you were uh, one of the first people that I'd heard talk about employer subsidized care. That I think that's an interesting idea. Can you can you sort of lay out the thought process there and what that would look like? Yeah, we talk about um, the workforce shortage within the veterinary profession, and it's certainly a, a big issue approaching a crisis issue. However, there's workforce shortage across many segments of society. So as employers are looking to attract and retain good talent, they're looking at their benefit offerings. Well, what, two thirds of Americans own a pet. We're crazy about our pets. If you could go to work for one employer that offered you some sort of a, a pet subsidy, whether it's through a wellness plan or pet insurance or whatever it might be, that might be a deciding factor in you taking that job or not. So we're seeing more and more that uh, employers, again, employers outside of the veterinary world are offering benefits within their offerings to their employees to help better care for their pets. Yeah, um, I, uh, that's my favorite. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I, yeah, the employers pick up the tab. I like that, that, yeah. that, seems, that seems really good to me. It's, uh, it is interesting. Have you, seen, uh, have you seen evidence of that, of that happening? In fact, I had a neighbor the other day telling me that their employer offered a specific pet insurance company. I've forgotten which one it was, but they were asking me about pet insurance and, hey, my employer subsidizes this. What do you think? Is that a good deal? Um, and that was just completely unsolicited person telling me about it. So yeah, I, anecdotally, I'm certainly seeing more and more of it. Yeah, I I, I think that I think that's interesting. Can um, so I had uh. Dr. Uh, Michael Blackwell on the podcast a, a while back, and we didn't really get much into a line care, but that's sort of his baby. And you it put is. that forward as something that you're positive about. Yeah, what what Dr. Blackwell is doing is so noble, and and he no doubt described it better than I could. But 
working again to help people that are underserved today. Um, he's brought quite a collaboration of people together um, and spent the last number of years on it. So noble, noble effort. And one more and as we look at how can we now knock down barriers to care. Yeah. So so what was I mean, his premise I, I, when I was talking about, and I don't want to misstate sort of how he was how he was working with it. He was working with a number of local groups to um, to sort of assess uh, the need in, in underserved communities and things like that. And it seemed like he I'm trying to remember where um, it was almost a political action uh, committee that he was sort of working on. Yeah, my my um, expertise is limited as well. My recollection and and my last reading on it, he he was kind of taking an approach, at least my interpretation, as they've done in human care, looking at all the different providers out there that could help subsidize. How could he pull those similar groups together with an aim towards veterinary care as opposed to human health care? Right. It was the idea of there are so many health benefits uh, to owning a pet that uh, that there's that this is worth subsidizing from a human public health perspective. And that was sort of how, how he was sort of approaching. It. And I think that that's uh, I, I, I like that. I like that case a lot. I think that that's the type of innovative thinking, kind of like what we were talking about with um, employers outside the profession looking for ways to attract employees. You say, well, let's take a look at this. And I think that was that was really the core of his of his of his insight and sort of his genius is to say, we know the benefits that uh, of healthcare that people get from having pets. And at some level, um, it it's worth subsidizing pet care for the health benefits that people get from them. And I, I think that that's a really interesting approach and argument. I, I hope he I hope he finds success and, and gets traction uh, making that making that pitch. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. If you if you own pets, you're less likely to be obese. You have lower blood pressure. You less likely to have a heart attack. Um, your children have fewer allergies. You're emotional well-being is stronger and the the savings in human health care which is what 20 percent of gdp it's it's huge uh, just a, a rounding error savings by having pets in your household to human health care could could really reverberate through the vet profession once that's widely recognized yeah talk about talk about how those sorts of benefits uh you had the idea of of pet ownership as tax savings yeah. talk about how those connect yeah same same concept and not my idea. Um, I think there was actually legislation introduced in California a number of years ago. It went nowhere and its time may not have come. But again, when you look at the savings in human health care to families that own pets by having fewer medical needs for two-legged animals, um, I think there's a big case to be made that by having a pet, you save money on the human side. Um, I'd, hopefully, we'll see that in our lifetime. We're certainly seeing more and more data to that, just looking at Aubrey and what Dr. Blackwell and others are doing, it's it's a, a potential big win for pets, society and our profession. Yeah, it would be it'd be pretty nice if you could write off your, yep. your bad dog who eats socks. Uh, that would help me out. <laughs> that would help me out a lot. It's funny how, you know, our relationship with pets continues to to grow and change. And we talk about the health benefits and things like that and and people's level of connected with their pets. And um you know, I look at the interface of technology with this, you know, and, and we talk about um, we talk about the insight into our pets that we've had before that we never used to have. Um, my technician that I work with has a, uh, a water bowl that's got a, uh, a microchip scanner on it and a scale built into it. Uh, it's called a filaqua. And um, 
and she gets updates on her phone when her cats drink water and how much water they have drank today. And she loves it. Like she's always sharing with me. Uh, she, she's, she's funny. She, um, she has a pirate theme among her cats. So, so she, so she has all pirate, all pirate names for her cats. And she named the water ball, the sea, uh, the water ball, the sea. And so she gets alerts that say things like, and Bonnie drank one ounce from the sea. And she just laughs and laughs every time. That that whole concept I think of as as a connected pet in our lifetimes, I think that's also going to lower barriers to care. Imagine sensors in the water, the scale, the food, um, the litter box, cameras in your home that can pick up gaits and activity and facial expressions indicating pain, wearables, connect all that data together along with what we see through virtual or physical exams, client observations, and all those millions of data points coming in filtered through some form of artificial intelligence. Um, I think in our lifetime, we're going to see some some big changes in how we practice medicine. And once again, the opportunity to lower barriers to care to help more pets. Yeah, I had uh, Dr. Sheila Robertson on uh, just a little while ago, and she was um, she was talking about some the new uh, international guidelines in in feline pain management and uh they were using uh the feline grimace scale and they have an app that goes with it that's uh, educational for pet owners and to sort of help them figure things out and i think about that app and i think about you know uh google photos that i have and what it can do which is ridiculous as far as uh, processing images and facial recognition stuff and i go how long is it until we do shoot a video of a pet or we do take a photo of a pet and it automatically runs a feline grimace scale on our, you know, on our cat and says, Ooh, this is, this is concerning. Um, I, I, why, why wouldn't we go that way? You know, um, yep. I, I just, I think that that's really interesting. Yeah. It's exciting. And that, that kind of dovetails into the whole idea around telehealth again, sometimes controversial, but can we remotely reach out and help more pets at a different price point? Well, in my mind, we can and we should. And we're moving in that direction slowly, but we're moving that way. Yeah, I, I think I think the staffing shortage is the biggest thing that's screwing us up there. You know what I mean? It is is the the very understandable pushback that we get when we talk about telehealth is that people say, look, I'm in the I'm in the exam room more than I want to be. Um stepping out of the exam room to do telehealth, especially if I don't have high demand for it right now from clients, uh, it, it doesn't make financial sense. I could be in the exam room putting hands on pets and actually, uh, you know, and actually staying really busy and financially at present, that makes a lot more sense. I, I think that there's a tipping point. Um, there's uh, There are some practices that are starting to do more telehealth. And the model that I've seen that's really cool, um, there are practices. I actually had uh, the one of the co-owners and the the virtual manager at Adobe Animal Hospital on the podcast recently, and they were talking about um, they were talking about their hospital. And so what they've done is they've they've started having some people work from home, and so they've got a work some a part of their workforce is work from home, and they have a chat set up through their website. So when people go to the website, it says, "Would you like to talk to somebody?" And they made the point that you can have a CSR working from home exactly. and they can chat with three people instead of talking on the phone to one and then they had a doctor set up that they could kick 
questions over to as a virtual visit and said, well, would you like to see our doctor virtually? And they could just uh, kick over there. And they were also a big enough hospital that they could keep that doctor busy with scheduled virtual appointments and then also picking up stuff coming in through the chat. And I go, well, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And it also drives a lot of their other business because they only work with their own clients. And then they're always they're often bringing these people in. And so it's they've got this sort of flywheel where this thing makes sense and feeds a lot of other things going on in their practice. And I say, hmm, there's there's insight there uh, as far as how this tool fits in with the other things that we're doing. Yeah, without a doubt, the opportunity to delegate to your team, in that case, CSRs, or in many cases, nurses, before it gets to the doctor to triage. Um, and then the efficiencies around asynchronous, so much can be done through telehealth when you have a minute. They send us a message, a picture, whatever it might be, between appointments or at home in your bunny slippers, taking care of those cases, that can bring huge efficiencies to a practice. But again, to your point that we're so understaffed now, it's difficult to go in and disrupt existing workflows when we're all running at 110% already. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yes, it is. Um, you know, change takes effort. Even delegation takes effort. I've been talking to people a lot about this recently. There's, um, you know, we, we struggle to hire or we struggle to delegate. And then I have people who actually do hire, they do delegate or they're trying to make change. And um, we're, we're doing that in my business right now is trying to, to do some significant change in our workflows and the way we do things and man, it's a ton of work because yeah. basically you're doing your whole workflow while you're training someone else to also yeah. do the job that you could just do faster yourself. Yeah. But that's but that's the short view. And so I think a lot of times you're right when we're really keep just barely keeping our nose out of the water. Um, it's it's really hard to consider making a shift in uh, in our workflow, in our processes in trying new things. You go, I, man, I, I'm working too hard to experiment. Yeah, you got to slow down to go faster. And that's a tough sell. Yeah, it, it is a tough sell. Well, Bob, thanks so much for uh, being on. I always appreciate uh, your time and, and coming and, and talking with me about about these things. I just, I, I get fired up and, and I really appreciate your perspective on the industry. And I, I like how you think outside the box. Uh, where can people, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about, about Wellhaven and, uh, and kind of what you're doing? They can learn more about Wellhaven at our website, wellhaven.com. Um, I can be reached through LinkedIn, or if someone wants to email me directly, it, I can be reached at bob.lesterdvm at wellhaven.com. All right. Thank you, sir. Great talking with you, Andy. And that's it. That's what I got for you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. If you're checking us out on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you're listening on podcasts, guys, leave us an honest review wherever you get your podcast. It's really uh, the nicest thing you can do. It's how people find us. It makes my day when it happens. Gang, take care of yourselves. Be well. Talk to you later. Bye.